that's a good reason to live in the Arctic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, not much pollen up there. Anyway. Doing a marker here. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Episode 13 of Curiously Polar, the unlucky number. We'll make this into a lucky episode, though. My name is Chris Marquardt. I have Mario Aquarone with me again on uh, high up north from me. Hey there. Yeah. Hi. Hi, Chris. Uh, this is Mario, and I'm really happy to uh, rec be recording again. Yeah, we, we do this in, in bursts. So we do like three, four, five episodes in a row. And um, that means we don't talk to each other for like a month or longer. And then every, every time we get together again to record more episodes, it's, it's more like a catching up thing first. So we've just exactly. caught up on uh, pollen allergies and things. <laughs> But now yes. let's go back to the Arctic and uh, not much pollen up there, right? No, not that much. Not of the allergy uh, kind uh, thing, in spite of the fact that the season is uh, shifted. And um, uh, so the pollen that, uh, like the birch, that is uh, very much active at the beginning of the summer, for example, here is uh, quite abundant uh, still now. Oh, really? Bit. But um, there is a very little uh, corn uh, grain mm. uh, grown up in uh, in Norway, and most of it is in the south. So, so up here in north, uh, there are no artificial cultures of uh, pollen. Uh, producing allergy uh, producing plants and just to remind everyone you're you're actually located in Tromsø I in I am in Tromsø north of up Norway. in the practically at 69 degrees north well north of the arctic circle wow. and uh, we just finished also our our um, our midnight sun uh, is season it, is There's it under the horizon now it's it's below the horizon for uh, some hours at night mm -hmm. and um It's, uh, yeah. It, How do you uh, deal with that? I mean, I've been up there vacationing in the midnight sun and um, I was lucky that the hotels had blackout curtains so I could get some sleep at night. But um, I, what is it living there and being in that for months? Well, you mentioned it. Blackout curtains, that's uh, something that is uh, very important. And especially blackout curtains, which are silver backed on the outside of the window, like towards the outside. Mm -hmm. So that when the sun, if you are exposed to the sun uh, during part of the night, the sun doesn't heat up oh, the room too much. True. So you want to have, um, you want to have your melatonin um, um, level, this uh, sleep hormone. Uh, the melatonin rhythm uh, upright, and uh, so you you need to uh, to have a low light level uh, hitting your your sun, your face, even with your eyes closed, uh, you right. can sense that there is light outside, and um, and that helps you keep um, keep a rhythm. But you have to be disciplined. So even if you are not extremely sleepy, you should go to sleep anyway, or be in a place where there is uh, where there is less light. I mean, the the one thing I noticed is that it's really easy to uh, to forget that it's late in the in the evening. We sat in a pub and we talked and talked and had fun, and I didn't really get tired until I w looked at my watch, and then it was like midnight. It's like, oops, that was unexpected. Yeah. Well, I think I think that the problem with this is mostly because. Uh, Uh, in towns like uh, Tromso, uh, we live according, uh, or we work according to a, 
to a like a universal uh, industrialized nation uh, rhythm. Yeah. Because uh, if we just followed our rhythms and uh, our own biological clock, then it wouldn't be that much of a problem for most people. So you could talk until midnight and then sleep until you are tired and up again. But if you have to get up at half past six or six in the morning, get your kids out to the, uh, to the kindergarten or to school and you have to go to work and uh, all different things, well, well, they are on a schedule. So you have to follow their schedule. Shops open and mm -hmm. uh, during a window during the middle of the day, so and you if you sleep, you don't, yourself, go, you don't right? go shopping for food. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, but but uh, it doesn't not, last very long. Yeah, yeah. But that's not what we wanted to talk about today. We came mm. here to talk about whaling, whaling yes. as in catching whales. And um, well, would you, okay, let's let's just briefly go over this um, because it is a very controversial topic. I think it has a lot of uh, political baggage and yes. it is um, in many places in the world, it's now outlawed. But what, what, t tell, me, tell me about whaling. Where does it come from and where is it right now? Yes, I, um, I, um, I, must, I, must, I would like to begin with uh, the fact that I've been um, interested in whaling and I've been working with whaling and, and the management of, uh, of whales for conservation and uh, for uh, like uh, ensuring that the, uh, that the whale stocks are and the dolphin oh. stocks are, uh, are uh, kept to a level out of, out of the endanger zone. When, when you started that sentence, I'm interested in whaling, that sounded almost like you want to go out with a harpoon and, and catch whales. Well, I am, I'm not a partisan for, uh, for going whaling, and I'm not a partisan for uh, this um, craze about uh, protecting whales at all costs. And, uh, so you're, you're for I a think more level-headed approach here? I, well, there are, there are different, different sides in me. I, I really like whales, so I wouldn't like to see them dead. But on the other hand, I do understand that there are some people, uh, like for example in Greenland, uh, that uh, that live off uh, the land and they wouldn't be able to live any other way, uh, and they do not do harm to, uh, in, uh, to some level, they don't do very much harm to the uh, whale populations. Mm -hmm. And uh, unless we go to a totally vegetarian or vegan approach. Um, uh, which I am not at the moment. Um, I um, I think that uh, eating any animal implies some killing. Of course, it. Does. And then and then there are there are different situations and different considerations. But I don't want to go into advocacy or one thing or the or the other. Okay. I would like to. I would actually like to uh, uh, to take more uh, like. A, a matter-of-fact approach of what's what's happening and, uh, and what the situation is. Okay, then let's look and, at um, let's, let, let's look at the situation. What, yeah, where does and, it come and, from? And, 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 and as you say, like where does it come from? And uh, there are uh, indications that uh, even like two, three thousand years ago, and even further back uh, from rock carvings and and others, some populations in the world have been hunting whales. Um, coastal populations hunting whales or dolphins. I'm saying whaling as capturing, um, 
cetaceans, so whales, dolphins, porpoises. Cetaceans, I've, I'm not a f a familiar <clears throat> with that term. Yeah, cetaceans is the collective uh, term that defines, that groups whales, dolphins, and porpoises. So marine mammals, um, like um, in general, are whales, dolphins, porpoises, seals, walruses, uh, manatees, uh, uh, polar bears, uh, sea otters. And, and the subgroup of these, which are uh, shaped almost like a fish, with a, like a fish-formed body with fins and mm -hmm. with a tail fin that propels them, and uh, which is put horizontal as opposed to fish that have a, uh, a vertical mm -hmm. fin, tail fin or fluke. Um, well, these are, uh, these are the, 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 uh, cetaceans. Okay. Uh, and, um, and these are animals that have to come to the surface to breathe. Uh, all marine mammals uh, breathe, uh, um, get their oxygen mostly from, uh, uh atmospheric, uh, air, uh, from the atmosphere, from the air, uh, on the surface. So we, atmospheric oxygen so we need they need to come to the surface and this is where they are most uh, likely to be seen on the surface and uh, this is also one of the tricks for capturing them especially in the in the uh, days where there were no nets in the prehistoric uh, whaling it was mostly by harpoon mm -hmm. Uh, going out with a with a boat or being close to the shore where the animals would come and then they would be harpooned and uh, with spear uh, and then uh, taken uh, to the shore for for parting and eating and um, of course if you are a like a let's say a like a primitive tribe and three thousand years ago along the coast and you are you have to get your food from somewhere and you uh, you are close to the coast and you see uh, some dolphins or small whales passing and you would uh, try to get them and uh, and eat them it's meat blubber uh, so the fat it's very fat very blubber. nutritious it's very nutritious and um, especially the skin of the cetaceans produces uh, vitamin c so uh oh like, like an orange yeah it's uh, there is more vitamin c per uh, unit uh, volume than in a kiwi oh in really? a, yeah so in uh, so we are getting in a kiwi fruit so we uh we th think that this has been uh, or we we know that for example for populations that live in the arctic where there are where there are no vegetables to be eaten especially during the winter <laughs> like in greenland um um the uh vitamin uh, intake vitamin c intake especially is mostly coming from from cetacean mm -hmm. uh, skin the okay. matak but uh, but let's see so the whaling in the past has been like from has gone from aboriginal and then we uh, like occasional opportunistic whaling like going over uh, like stumbling over a group of whales and then suddenly there is a there is a uh, a catch and uh, and this is a feast for for everybody in the in the group and depending and on then, the whale that's a big feast and that's a big feast but there were some limits to of course if you are standing on a rock uh, by the shore and you are waiting for a whale to come over and to be harpooned it doesn't happen often uh, first no? of all it's <laughs> it, it doesn't happen often it's a difficult thing to do when you are limited in the size and in the numbers 
the size of animal that you can take and the size and the number of animals that you can take. So the impact is minimal. And we have to remember the population in the, in the, the human population in like 3000 years ago were like a few thousand, a few tens of thousand humans. So it would not do a great harm to the populations. Okay. Um, and, uh, and here I introduce the concept of the impact of, uh, human takes, uh, on, of whales of cetaceans mm-hmm. and uh, and then like uh, in the uh, uh, 11th century 12th century we have a uh, what uh, the beginning of what is called the european whaling or the uh, let's say the the commercial whaling in the bay of biscay the uh, population of right whales was decimated uh, starting about in the 12 1200s by uh, uh, people going out with uh, boats and uh, steel harpoons and harpooning these uh, relatively large whales. We're talking about uh, like, let's say, 40 tons of, wow. of an animal um, and um, uh, harpooning the whales. And these were whales that were, uh, for that reason, called the right whales because they were the right whales to, to catch. Mm. And um, they, because they would uh, swim very slowly, mostly uh, skimming the water uh, with their mouth open and and skimming the uh, zooplankton or small schooling fish uh, using their baleens, their uh, baleen plates, their special apparatus in the mouth of the of the misty seeds, mm-hmm. the whales with the baleens um, that uh, um, allows them to to filter the water, and uh, and they would. Uh, they would uh, float when they when they are dead i mean they float when they are dead so their oh, their so, body so was easy to recover you kill them and then you just drag them yeah it was it was not as easy as i'm as it might sound from my <laughs> description here i'm sorry it's not very easy to go out to a whales uh, like uh, rowing or sailing without an engine up to a whale and uh, and sticking a harpoon all the way down to the heart to kill the whale or to stick it so many times that it would die and then and then you have to tow it back to the shore drag it up on land and 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 do it but it was done in such a large scale that the right whales became rare already by the by the 1400s they became rare in the uh, in the uh, in the european waters and uh, and the hunters had to go uh, further north and they were pushed by the fact that the market had uh, acquired a, a taste not so much for the meat of the whales but for the oil mm-hmm. and uh, the oil of whales was used for for lighting uh, in the in the houses and even street lighting mm, okay uh, it's a it's a very convenient uh, way of getting some oil where and that, in, that oil in a is, moment that oil comes from the blubber and the oil comes from mostly from the blubber. It comes from uh, heating up the blubber and uh, and making these uh, these fats uh, liquid and taking it out. It's called uh, trying out uh, the the oil from from the from the blubber of the whales. Okay. And um, and of course, uh, like it was a period where, uh, like other, there, there was no mineral oil or very little mineral oil that could be used for lighting and it was not refined uh, the mineral oil that would be found and uh, other oils would be like vegetable oils um, and that it would be um, uh, they would be used for for food 
so whale oil was the convenient thing to to use and it would burn uh, depending on the quality of the oil and which part of the whale it was taken it would burn relatively clean so it would not make uh, that much soot um and that was uh, that was one of the qualities especially if we get later to uh, to a later um, phase which is called the yankee whaling uh, targeting mostly sperm whales like moby dick um the oil the spermaceti oil in the head of the of the um uh, sperm whale is uh, a very very fine um, selection of uh, fatty acids that means that it's very pure and very liquid and it burns very well okay and um and so like we go from the basque countries in the uh 12th uh, and up to the 14th century then the there is a move northwards we go to svalbard that you know uh, you've been there so it's uh, uh seasonal these are animals that migrate the big whales are animals that migrates and uh, and they they would go up um the, the whalers would go up to Svalbard and hunt the whales there. And they, in a few hundred years, not even a hundred years, then the, the whales up in Svalbard became rare and people went looking for other whales. Uh, in America, this Yankee whaling uh, went targeting the, uh, the sperm whales all around the world in the oceans. And this was still done by sailing and harpooning the whales. And then at one point... Um, with the uh, invention at the end of the of the uh, 19th century um the invention by a norwegian of a harpoon the, that uh, would be fired by a gun so the the uh, the gun for uh, for shooting the harpoon by a norwegian called a svenfoin uh, allowed to uh, go after uh, the whales that were not the right whales, like uh, the fin whales or the the blue whales, the, these very big whales that uh, would uh, require, first of all, a a, a larger charge, but then uh, a larger harpoon uh, with uh, much more force to be penetrated uh, up to the uh, say down to the center of the of the body. But then the would he also invented the exploding head of the harpoon so there would be a charge that would explode inside the whale and uh, and then uh, a, um, uh, the whale would receive a shock uh, internal shock and it would die from the blast ideally of course mm-hmm. and at the same time there is the um, more widespread use of uh, steam engines engines that would propel the boats instead of using sail or oars for following the whales so the catcher vessel would be able to follow the whale at a high speed so even the fast swimming whales so like not the dependent on the wind whales anymore it would not be dependent on the wind or or directly on manpower for propulsion the harpoon all of these things make it more um make it easier to catch large animals in large numbers and this is the beginning of the industrial whaling period of course during all this time there is still aboriginal whaling going on in different places of the of the earth but uh, but the big impact uh, on the whaling pop- on the whale populations is made by the industrial whaling starting more or less at the beginning of the of the 1900s so 1905 1906 depending on on when uh, there is this very big push for whaling and the norwegians were the uh, the masters in these techniques 
And at that time, there was nobody that would think of the seas being uh, a place where you could uh, take out a total species or a total population of of animals. Uh, they were uh, unfathomable, and uh, they were filled with with such large numbers of whales that uh, that it was not uh, it was not possible to have an influence on the on the populations. But these industrial uh, developments make it. Uh, actually, uh, very obvious that the um, that the efficiency is so high that the populations diminish, and this is because the what we call the catch per unit effort. So the effort that is made to catch one animal or one ton of oil or to produce one ton of oil becomes becomes increasingly larger with the years as the whales become rarer and uh, and people have to go out further out um uh, offshore to to find the animals and this is something that happens at the beginning of the uh, at the beginning of the uh of the 19th century and uh so in uh, in after world war 2 there is uh, something called the international whaling commission that is made and it's called a whaling commission because it's the it's the um grouping of whaling nations uh, interested in continuing to uh, to exploit a resource and um and that is the um the moment where like the red warning lights come out and uh, and and people began getting worried but at the beginning the worry was not that the whales would become rarer and so it's a bad thing for the environment or or whatever but it was like the whales become rare, rarer and it's a bad thing for the industry Oh, I see. But when when was the International Whaling Commission founded? Uh, well, we are talking about um, the uh, um, a first uh, treaty, which co which is called the uh, International Convention for the Regulation of Whaling, uh, and that is from 1946, the end of 1946. Okay, and by and, that uh, time, were there already uh, some kinds of whales gone from the planet? Did the did, mm, did we already diminish well, uh, them it's, enough? I, I, well, it's, it's unsure whether the influence of humans has had a, a has been, um, uh, exterminating one of the populations, which is the, uh, Atlantic, uh, right, uh, Atlantic gray whale. Mm -hmm. Um, gray whales are a species of whales that is very abundant now on the, uh, luckily on the west coast of the, American or North American continent, and there was a similar population in along the east coast of the North American continent. Okay, but the the IWC <coughs> you said was was a more of an industry thing that well, because, yeah, they, it because is, they were afraid to run out of whales. At the beginning, it was it was just the countries that were interested in in whaling in exploiting the resource, mm -hmm. and it's uh, it's a like a voluntary membership. You pay uh, it, it is still it still is uh, so you, it is open to anybody that is interested in in doing in doing whaling uh, any country so you have to be represented as a country and um so it's a government and of course the industry is influencing the governments and and um and because it is open nowadays it is open to also the countries that are not whaling but are interested in the for example the protection of whaling mm -hmm. of whales so Countries like Switzerland are members of the of the uh, International Whaling Commission, and uh, and they are 
not directly interested in whaling and and because not not interested in whaling as a as a resource but they are interested in protection and the conservation of whales and uh but the um, the the very big turning point in whaling <coughs> happens in uh, when in 1982 uh, the uh international whaling commission adopts a moratorium on commercial whaling and uh and this is uh, a pause into the whale into the whaling operation the commercial whaling operations by the members of the of the IWC and um <clears throat> because of this uh, majority vote it's a three quarter majority of the members um the pause um of whaling starts in the uh, 19 in 1986 or the 1985-1986 pelagic seasons is called, which is the uh, Antarctic uh, whaling. At that time, whaling had been the, most of the whaling operations were taking place in the around South Georgia in the in the Antarctic waters. Um, so um, so this is uh, this is a break, and this is a very a very important date. Uh, the the 1985-1986 uh, turn of the pelagic season in that that winter of the northern hemisphere um it is um it is a point where like nations became so much worried about uh the whale populations becoming low that they said we stop and we try to find out what happens to the whale population we have to make an assessment of the situation an assessment of all the whale stocks so not just the species but even the uh parts the these proportions portions of the species that are living in different areas and that have uh, uh, like the subpopulations and populations commercially well for fisheries called stocks and uh, and this uh, moratorium is uh, still going on mm, except uh, that there are some some countries that are they've gone back to whaling so, so count, counting whales episode 8 of this podcast yes. we already talked about this uh, how to count whales was that the first time that there was some actual effort to find out how many whales there were or um i mean usually when you deplete a resource i think you will start worrying about it the moment it starts going yeah. low and not much before well it's uh it's not the first time that uh that even within the uh, the whaling the industrial whaling nations uh, since the beginning of the 1900s somebody has been trying to assess the number of whales um and uh the previous efforts were not very uh, were not very successful like uh, i think we talked about the discovery tags uh, system right. so shooting a uh, uh, shooting something into the animals and trying to recapture, so having a mark recapture system to assess the number of whales, uh, comparing the proportion of tags that you've been putting in the whales and the proportion of tags that you recover when whaling. Right. But uh, but in uh, since uh, the uh, the mid eighties, uh, then we have a an improvement of the situation, and this is where we get the techniques like line transect sampling um, applied to cetacean populations right and lots of detail about this yeah. in episode eight um yes. so so the moratorium again so went went so, on 1986 you said 
Yes. And then it is still yes. going on. And the countries well, that are part of the IWC are, are in that moratorium. So they obey yes, that. Ex I except the countries that have uh, posed a reservation or the table of reservations or countries that are hunting under a scientific permit. And this we're talking about, uh, about uh, Iceland, uh, Norway and Japan, for example, which are the countries that we know uh, go whaling or um, the countries that go uh, whaling for Aboriginal uh, purposes. Well, what, are, what are Aboriginal um, purposes? Just the, the yeah. culture that they come from? Yes. Well, um, contemporary whaling is uh, divided within the system of the International Whaling Commission into commercial Aboriginal and whaling under scientific permit. So these are the three kinds of, of whaling, uh, of active takes of the animal. Okay, so, so commercial is really going out. So you are a industrialized nation and you go out and you hunt the whales and then you put them into a system of uh, commercial network uh, and is uh, they are they are s sold on the market like normal goods so uh, so for like, for food for oils for yeah for for whatever like making like using the products of the whales right. whales can be used in different whales aboriginal whaling is um, a controversial um, definition, but it's, for example, the whaling uh, that is carried out by by the Greenlanders, uh, by uh, the uh, Inuit population in the Arctic and the Inupiaq, uh, like mostly around the around the Arctic. These uh, populations they go out and take just a few whales, and they um, can justify it uh, towards the IWC as being a part of their tradition or their their need of uh, uh, getting food from the ocean for uh, a very limited um, distribution. So even though whale meat and blubber in Greenland can be bought on the market, it's not a, a, an industrial system. It's more like a, a, a system that is uh, perpetrating the uh, the traditions of the of the country like a, like a small farmers market somewhere else maybe yes exactly yeah. yeah so there is money involved into also in aboriginal whaling in most of the aboriginal whaling but uh, but it's not the same kind of industrial uh, process as in commercial whaling so the justification here is the size and the cultural um, yes. Connection. Well, there are there are criteria. I mean, we we don't go into the the uh, the different criteria for qualifying as Aboriginal whaling, but uh, but countries have to demonstrate that they need uh, uh, the uh, the meat and the and the blubber and the skin and the matak for uh, for example health purposes or okay. for uh, surviving. Uh, through the winter or these things and then there is whaling under scientific permit and this is uh, whaling uh, that is carried out in order to find out more about whales and whale population and uh, and this is uh, this is where for example japan comes in um and uh, it's also controversial but uh, but it's um originating from the uh, from the moratorium actually and for even even before uh, that, and uh, that in order to find out, for example, parameters like fertility or number of parturitions in an individual through the lifetime of an individual, um, and even for uh, that time where other techniques were not available, we're talking about the beginning of the 1900s, like finding out what whales actually do eat. So 
how much food do they need to eat uh, is looking inside the stomachs and seeing how much have they actually been eating. So how many uh, follicles or corpora albicans are in the like scars in the in the ovaries. So we can see how many times has this female whale ovulated or has had a a um, a, um, uh, a baby. Um, and you have what to catch the, the whales to find out that. Well, for some of these parameters. Um, the uh, most practical whale would be to look inside a whale. I and mean, you can also, for most of the parameters, you can also use long-term techniques like observing the individual whale. And then if you want to do statistics, you have to observe several whales, uh, of, for example, females, and checking out when from birth to when they get their first, uh, their first calf and uh, how long a time... Uh, what is the interval between the calving uh, for one first calf to the second calf to the third calf? I mean, this is possible by looking. We talk about uh, photo identification, for example, and and the regular observation of the whales. But for long-lived animals, this is a long-term program. And uh, an industry uh, which is at the origin, at the base of the International Whaling Commission, didn't want to wait uh, for... 30, 40 years because no, no industry can survive without, uh, no, no company can survive without having any profit for, for a long period of time, uh, for a period of time of several decades. And so it was, uh, it was more practical to go and kill the whales. And, and it still is, according to, for example, the Japanese scientists, um, it is still important to go out and, for example, look at the variation in fertility. Uh, which is also a matter of, of density of animals and of resource availability. So it's not just that if you want to know how many whales you have in the ocean, that's one thing. You can go out and count them by uh, doing the line transects that we talked in the other episode. But uh, if you want to know the reproductive rate or changes in the reproductive rate, which are uh, uh, an idea which give an idea of uh, the uh, uh, population size reaching caring capacity, so reaching the maximum population size for the environment. Well, this is uh, this is something that is uh, uh, that is at the base of the of the uh, Japanese uh, program for whaling under scientific permit. Okay. And then there are countries, as I mentioned before, that uh, that have tabled a a, um, a reservation towards the moratorium, and this is, for example, Norway. And Norway, when the moratorium went into effect, tabled a reservation. It actually followed the moratorium for ten years, and uh, and after ten years, when the uh, scientific committee of uh, of the uh, IWC. Um, indicated that the for example the minke whales which is a species of of, of whales in the north atlantic um are uh, sufficiently large and that uh, and a new system of of counting or evaluating how many whales can be taken without harming the population with like keeping up a population growth uh, uh was approved um, then they said, well, after 10 years of, of, of studying and the situation is okay and there are enough whales and if we take a, just a few, it wouldn't make any problem. Then they took into force one of the 
uh, items on the bylaws of the international whaling commissions uh, one of the articles of the of the constitution and then uh, and they said well we we go whaling anyway and this is what they have been doing uh, since 1995 and they um, again use the they how much what's what's the production capacity here what uh, some of the numbers we're talking about. Do you have anything? Well, the number we're talking. I mean, uh, Norway, the uh, the quota. So it's like any form of uh, taking animals out of the environment, like fishing. Uh, we're talking about quotas, and the the quotas for Norway they uh, they vary according to uh, the um, mostly according to the uh, population abundance estimates and uh, and uh, the parameters that goes into the calculation that go into the calculation of the quotas are also for example the fertility and the age of sexual maturity and uh, and all of these uh, all of these biological parameters but the quotas we are talking about uh, around a thousand uh, minke whales from the north atlantic um, a year okay and is the that, actual is that, takes I, I, are less than that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have a, um, I don't know how how that relates to the overall number. But is that a lot? Is that well, not a lot? Well, is the overall number, well, the a lot. Well, <laughs> some people would say that even one whale is too of course, much. Of but, course, uh, of course, taking yeah. it. But uh, but if you're talking about uh, um, the uh, population being still able to increase. So if you're talking about minke whales, minke whales is a species and there are sub, there is a subspecies in the North Atlantic. And the, uh, for the, uh, for the North Atlantic minke whales, the subspecies is also, uh, corresponding according to the, uh, adopted, uh, the adopted system is corresponding to one population one stock. So the North Atlantic minke whale stock is, let's say, around 40,000 individuals. And uh, the stock is growing, uh, even with a quota of a 1,000 whales taken by the Norwegians and then the whales that are taken by the, um, the minke whales also in the North Atlantic are taken by the Icelanders and by the Greenlanders. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, the population is still growing, um, but, uh, yeah, it's, but it's not growing a question of, well, it's growing around 2% a year, as okay. if I am not mistaken, um, depending on, uh, I mean, there are data that are updated every year. Uh, so, um, there is a, there is a, a close watch on the growth of the population and, uh, provisions for diminishing the quota or setting the quota to zero. If the population is not meeting the target, which is a growing target, so, or if there are no more data taken in. So what are those whales hunted for today? Because I, I was under the assumption that in our industrial, industrialized world, um, we have good replacements for pretty much everything that a whale can provide. Yes, uh, you are right. Um, like lubrication, <clears throat> the oils, or uh, oh. f- from the food side, we have a lot of other options. Yes, the um, the uh, whales are not hunted, at least the North Atlantic minke whales, for example, they're not hunted for oils. Okay. They are hunted for direct human consumption, so for eating. Mm, okay. Um, in Greenland, they are eaten... Uh, like uh, yeah, in, in Norway as well. Well, in Greenland, the parts of the whales that are eaten are like everything practically, mm-hmm. apart from the bones. <laughs> um, in uh, Norway, it's the meat. 
that is used. And the Icelanders, they also mostly use the meat, uh, a little bit of the blubber, uh, but, uh, but mostly the meat mm-hmm. okay. is, is used. And, um, and, um, and then we, um, we have, uh, like, uh, the whaling and the scientific permit. And this is the Japanese going uh, and hunting different species of whales out in the, in the southern oceans, mostly in the North Pacific. And this is, uh, programs that, uh, um, uh, go and take the whales in order to, to look at the, um, at the, um, uh, different param- biological parameters, um, and uh, and there is a, a rule in the International Whaling Commission that says that you cannot uh, dump the rest of the animal once you've taken your data uh, or your samples. So the Japanese take the whales uh, back to Japan, and uh, they do not have to make any profit by um, using the rest of the carcass. So the, uh, the whales are in theory, uh, and there are some people that object to this or they say that it's not true, but, uh, but the official Japanese, uh, version is that they are taking the whales to, in order to find parameters according to a scientific research program, uh, approved by the IWC or submitted to the IWC. And then once the, animals or the carcasses are taken back to Japan, they are sold on the market and the money is going back to research or is paying for the research. So the, the, the criticism here would be that the, um, the Japanese whaling industry f- furthers um, their own cause by, uh, by kind of attaching mm. themselves to the scientific whaling? I don't think that this is the main reason. It's one of the reasons. I, th- I think that the main the main point that is made, for example, by uh, the Australian government and uh, uh, conservation organizations uh, is that uh, you don't need to go whaling, first of all, and that um, you can obtain the same scientific parameters uh, by uh, doing... Uh, other forms of research, non-lethal research, mm-hmm. and um, and that um, and that is a, a problem. Uh, it's it's a debate, and it's the it's the what is at the base of the of the anti-whaling uh, uh, discourse. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there are other whaling nations on this planet that are not members of the IWC who pretty much say we don't do not care about the moratorium um, there are uh, not not large whaling nations but uh, there are whaling nations in the uh, that are taking a few animals um, traditionally uh, like uh, in the in the caribbeans mm-hmm. um, one or two humpbacks are taken a year uh, whaling nations that are uh somehow uh, schizophrenic <laughs> i would say uh well maybe it's a little bit too hard of a word but uh, but um there are whaling nations that actually are opposed to whaling okay. uh, and i'm talking mostly about uh, about uh, the united states uh which uh, as a country in the iwc on the one side is opposed to whaling 
and on the other side asks for an Aboriginal quota of bowhead whales for its uh, Aboriginal populations in Alaska. Mm, okay. Mm, so, so you have uh, countries that are like this, and then countries that are taking whales, like uh, where some of the uh, inhabitants take whales, like Canada, which are not member of the IWC, and the uh, Aboriginal population of Canada have uh, quotas for uh, belugas, narwhals, and bowheads, or quotas. They they calculate their own quotas, but uh, but they they are not part of the system. Okay. So where where is it going from here? Well, where is it going from here is that um, <clears throat> even. Um, even if uh, if whaling is still going on, is uh, it's rapidly diminishing. There are some new aspects of whaling uh, which are taken up, and one of them is uh, food security. And um, uh, another way of looking at it is that, uh, for example, if you're talking about Greenland, um, alternatives are not uh, viable either commercially or even for a climatic reason. Uh, for, uh, uh, for example, if you're talking about uh, providing, I mean, consider that, uh, that Greenlanders had to stop whaling. They would have to uh, have uh, a, an input of uh, proteins and an input of uh, vitamins uh, and other things like uh, omega-3 yeah. fatty acids and things from other sources. And there and, are no uh, other sources, pretty much. And 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 the problem is that well, for omega threes, probably the Greenlanders they could use uh, seafood, uh, other seafood like fish, or and uh, and nobody is actually calculating what the impact would be on the uh, on the fish and uh, seafood sources around Greenland, but. Uh, there are only 50,000 Greenlanders in the world, so <laughs> living in Greenland at least, uh, around that number, so it's not a big impact anyway. But they would have to import, for example, meat uh, uh, for uh, for eating uh, from other places, and, and that would be prohibitive for uh, commercial reasons. And it would also have a large uh, impact on the CO2 production in in the world and methane production. So if, if all Greenlanders had to substitute the meat from marine mammals uh, to uh, uh, with meat from, uh, for example, cattle raised in Brazil, then we would have an impact on the uh, rainforest. We would produce uh, greenhouse gases for the production uh, of the meat, and then also we'll need we'll have to use energy in order to transport these animals over all this produce the meat over to Greenland. And then there is a question of, of vitamins. And, and this is also importing vitamins and mostly from vegetables out to Greenland from other places in the world. So for them, it's a question of food security, having a local resource that they can catch themselves. They are not dependent on others to produce it for them. And it's a cheaper and better for the environment. And having been to Greenland, I've uh, witnessed that there is not much else. <laughs> there just yeah, isn't. there it's there is just a little bit of agriculture in yeah. the south, but it's it's not really. I mean, you cannot yeah. really really grow fruit uh, in a large quantity, not even for fifty thousand inhabitants. 
and even the uh, the logistics of transporting even if part of greenland for example in the south they could produce more uh, agricultural produce then it would uh, it would still be uh, very expensive to carry all of these goods to other parts of the countries right but uh, on the uh, on the happy note is that um, actually whaling has a uh, relatively little effect on whaling or whale populations or cetacean populations um, compared to other threats. Uh, in the news uh, recently, we have had the uh, we have seen that there are uh, right whales along the coast of Canada and uh, like east coast of Canada and the United States that have been found dead. Um, quite large numbers in around the Gulf of St. Lawrence. And, and, uh, and these are uh, probably one of, the, one of the first findings, because it's something happening the past couple of weeks. Um, one, of the one of the findings is that, that these animals have been struck by, by ships. Oh, and so, uh, so you mean you mean uh, transport transportation ships, cruise ships? Yeah, kind of transportation. Stuff? Well, big big ships that have been hitting whales and and killing them. And this is a very endangered uh, little population that is not doing very well. Wow. Um, um, other threats are uh, on the very acute short term threats are um, entanglements. So whales that go into fishing gear or other. Uh, either directly active fishing gears or what is called the ghost gear, so gear that is uh, discarded, like nets that have been th lost or thrown out of overboard. And uh, and when a whale goes into a net, it, uh, it, it at the worst possible case, well, I I wouldn't say worse. <laughs> it's difficult to say worse, but but in one possi one possibility is that they get captured in a way that they cannot get to the surface and breathe. Then they can get entangled and they cannot eat. For example, the mouth is uh, is closed by the net, or they just have something dragging behind them so that they have to use much more energy for swimming, uh, and uh, they uh, get thinner and thinner and they die. They cannot live their their normal life. So this is the big acute threats, and then there are the most uh, the most uh, like. Uh, less obvious uh, threats which are from pollutants and for uh, the influence the humans have on the environment through inputting things that should not be there in the first place like man-made pollutants like uh, the old uh, DDTs or PCBs like insecticides or uh, products that are being used for uh, for other industrial processes, and the, and the they, oceans they kind end of up being the, being the collection basin for these things. Yes, yeah. and the whales being quite high up on the trophic chain, they accumulate. This is called bioaccumulation of uh, of these pollutants. So, if uh, the pollutants are not very con concentrated in, for example, in in fish, in small schooling fish, uh, in each individual schooling fish, but the whales take them in in large quantities and and these pollutants do not leave the body of the whale and they can have uh, disruption of hormonal cycles or things that are not uh, uh, like they are, they are disrupting they can have an acute uh, poisoning or they can have subacute poisoning so so like changing the metabolism of of the whales 
and they can die. But um, uh, other another big problem is uh, noise. We make a lot of noise. Humans make a lot of noise in the oceans from, of course, ships, but also constructions, uh, um, oil drilling, all the processes, even scientific research, for example, geological research, looking for resources in the bottom of the ocean uses uh, uh, sound emitting devices. And it's not only sonars or, or echo sounders, but it's also what is called air guns. Um, these are uh, devices that produce a very, um, like a, like a gunshot, like a very loud, uh, underwater, almost so. instantaneous noise underwater. And then the um, a receiving station will be picking up the echoes from the sea bottom. And because the noise travels also quite deep into the sea bottom, uh, the echo would uh, allow to look at the different uh, strata of material of sediment of rocks that are in the sea bottom and those this are is the really way loud one, then and these are really loud noises and it's like having a like gunshots like living close to a shooting range isn't it i've heard something that whales are now actually because of that noise changing the way they they vocalize the, the way they sing because mm. they 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 have to overpower whatever other noise is there and that changes the way they communicate yeah, even even sound can have a like a, like subacute effects like these where where we uh, uh, where they change the way they the frequencies they use or the moments where they right. where they uh, where they talk. It's like uh, there is a gunshot, nobody can hear you, so you don't talk while there is a gunshot. But if there are lots of gunshots, there are long long periods of the day where you where you should talk to your friends, but but they can hear you. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, so they um, they have difficulties in navigating or or finding their their mates or even uh, using their biosonar for finding like tooth whales use biosonar for finding their prey and uh, navigating and uh, and they could have a problem uh, with uh, with using it when there is loud noise. Oil extraction also gas extraction has uh, has also big noise. Construction of even windmills. At sea now we are making lots of uh, windmill parks out at sea, but the driving, making the fundaments for the wind turbines implies driving piles down into the bottom of the ocean. Unless, of course, you are talking about the floating wind farms like the one that is uh, being implemented out of um, of Scotland right. or the east coast of Scotland. But uh, but That's there is a lot noise, of noise, of course, yeah. creating a lot of noise. And this is a problem for like uh, smaller uh, cetaceans, like uh, harbor porpoises and dolphins. So the North oh, well. Sea is actually a very, very noisy place. And it's not because uh, uh, natural organisms like animals and, and, and other things make noise naturally in the ocean, like uh, the sand moving on the sea bottom with the waves also make noise and we, we do streams a, make noise. But. We do have an episode of that, episode mm. 7, where we talk about the bearded seals and the hydrophones and yes. uh, where you can get a bit of an idea of what it sounds like underwater. And that mm. was in a very quiet part of the world. So um, mm. we already have the sounds of not just not just the rocks at the beach and the glaciers, but also of the, uh, of the generator that the ship has on board. And it was... Uh, quite apparent that that is something that probably travels quite a quite a while undersea and that is one of the i would say lesser sounds yes yes exactly i mean those are uh, quite uh, quite interesting sounds but it's uh it was a uh, like na- 
mostly natural sound apart from the sound right. from our ship our own ship from the from the hull the waves uh, hitting the hull and the generator on board and and things right anyway whaling is yes. is what a what a topic i mean that's probably uh still just scratching the surface of what's going on there of course we can talk yeah. about it. i think we will have to do another have to do another episode in the future where we will talk a bit more about whales in in other contexts and um with that i think we have we've come to the end of a rather lengthy episode of curiously polar episode 13 about whaling uh thank yes. you all for being around if you If you liked it, um, well, tell your friends. We are going to keep doing this. And if you want others to find out about the show, the best way to help us doing that is by going onto iTunes and clicking on the rating and maybe leaving a little review for us. Curiouslypolar.com is the website. And uh, in your podcatcher, you should also find a few links to like the International Whaling Commission website and what Wikipedia writes about them and so on. So you have some further reading if you like to. And um, yeah, let's cut it here and welcome you guys back in the next episode next week. Until then, stay cool. Yes, stay cool.